0: I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Corey Rosenbush joins us. He's the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, and he tells us what growers can expect from fertilizer prices this year. He also touches on some of the regulatory and political hurdles that face the industry. First, he tells us what the impact of fertilizer will be on farmers' bottom lines this year.
1: I think they won't see things quite as crazy as they've been the last two years. We've come off of a a real interesting volatile market. And uh, some of those uh, extreme prices over the last two years have really started to come down. And that that actually started in uh, early 2023. We saw the market start to settle a bit. Thankfully for most ag retailers, that was not a crash landing. It was a bit of a soft landing, but that didn't mean that some were not sitting on high price inventories that they still had to apply in the spring. So there was some, some write off of that inventory that had to be done. But it, what it did is it created this mentality to, to really draw down inventory to almost zero. And so as we went into summer fill and as we're getting ready for the fall and spring, people are starting to you know, rebuild that inventory again. And so it's being done so on that price reset. At the same time, I think everyone thinks about pre-2019. So we're not going back to pre-2019. I think it's probably appropriate to say that we're, we're headed into a more normal market period. But at the same time, if you look at grain stock-to-use ratio on a global scale, driven by a lot of factors, including you know the continued war in Ukraine, there's going to be high demand. So we are expecting for strong demand to continue both in the fall. I mean, I've talked to some fertilizer companies that said they've had one of their best fall applications they've ever had. And I think that will continue in the spring. So with strong demand, that means prices will continue to be strong, but they're not going to be crazy. If I could use that word like we saw two years ago.
0: Is it for all three of the big ones, NP and K, or are you seeing uh, unique market situations with each or any?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You have to look at each one individually. I think a few things that we've been watching is just what's going on with potash. Where are those tons going to go and where they're coming from? As you know, 40% of the potash comes from Belarus and Russia. And so... Russia had a record export year of fertilizer last year. They exported more fertilizer than they ever did because the trade flows shifted. So they were headed to India, Brazil, countries that weren't sanctioning a lot of those Russian oligarchs that own those fertilizer uh, businesses. And so that will continue to kind of find its way into the marketplace. China, I think, is really, though, the one we need to watch going into spring. So they have started some of the behavior again of restricting exports. And officially, the this, this They say they don't have a quota in place, but there was a major procurement uh, that India did and some of that product coming from China ended up getting blocked. If that behavior continues going into spring, then the urea the tons are going to have to come from somewhere as well. So I think those are just a few things to look at. Of course, there's a lot going on with the phosphate trade cases in the U.S. right now. Some of those annual adjustments uh, just brought the Moroccan duties down to about 2%. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what that does to bringing Moroccan phosphate back into the market.
0: What does that do?
1: Every year, the Department of Commerce does a review of what those duties should be. It's called administrative review. Review, And so they they look at their calculations. And so that's the new duty uh, going forward for Moroccan phosphate. The Russian phosphate changed too, not as dramatically and one even went up. It makes it right at about 2%. I think it's 2.2% to be exact. I think the challenge though is that There's not a lot of clarity of how some of those duties work, and so when the case first ended, there were some people that would continue to bring in product, and as a result of bringing that product in, they were still liable for any of those administrative shifts. So it left them with some significant financial liability. So I think it comes down to what happens with behavior, and of course there's three remands right now that came out of the Court of International Trade as well, uh, including a complete review by the ITC simply it's just two things one was already done which was to do uh, some calculation review on russian phosphate uh related to who owned it and some of the the facts of the case the two that are pending though one is to recalculate moroccan phosphate based upon some overhead costs that were excluded and the other one is to look at some of the flooding that was happening on the mississippi river in 2019 and to re-examine the facts of how that impacted uh imports and so they've asked the International Trade. Commission to reevaluate the case with some some new considerations.
0: I'm glad you brought up some domestic implications when it came to fertilizer transportation. What are some of the most pressing domestic logistic issues that you see today for fertilizer?
1: Well, that's a great question for two reasons. One, we just issued our our industry trends research. We do it every three years. One of the key themes was logistics and supply chain. And the number one concern that the fertilizer industry has is rail service. So we've seen a number of cases go through the surface transportation board related to some embargoes that rail companies have put on fertilizer. We've seen some of the chemical safety concerns that happen in Ohio trickle down to shipments for anhydrous, for example. And so I think, that rail service will continue to be a challenge for a lot of the fertilizer companies. Although we just came from one of the fertilizer institutes transportation conferences and we had two of the surface transportation board members there. Their remarks were that service has improved dramatically. You know, you've got new CEOs that have come into four of the major class one railroads and have really kind of changed that narrative and dialogue. I don't have any data or specific evidence that that's the case, but at least from those experts, they felt like service has improved somewhat. I think it'll continue to be a challenge, as will water levels at the Mississippi, in ensuring that those barges can get up and down the river.
0: The farm bill deadline has been extended. Is the Fertilizer Institute engaged in that conversation? What exactly are you asking for to be included? And now that you got some more time, do you feel like it's a possibility?
1: One of the key things that we're looking for in the Farm Bill is to provide us some tools to help with some of the market volatility. So specifically we've now learned that 90% of fertilizer is consumed outside the United States. That we're a net importer of fertilizer in the United States. 93% of the potash is imported into the United States. And so how can we strengthen domestic supply? And that doesn't necessarily exclude imports because that would include some tools for imports too. But um, you know five Phosphate and potash are, are minerals that are in the earth, and so it's it's kind of where God put them. And we don't have the same abundance that other countries do. However, we're also not getting access to those minerals that we do have, largely because of permitting issues. So we've asked um, to be included in the Farm Bill designation of potash and phosphate as a critical mineral. And what that'll do is uh, help a company better mine and process those minerals for farmers to use. So for example, one phosphate company just got a mining permit for a phosphate mine. It took them 10 years and $32 million. So when you talk about supply demand and making sure farmers have supply, 10 years and $32 million isn't efficient enough to make sure that that supply is available.
0: So more flexibility to mine critical minerals in the U.S., how will that immediately benefit the American farmer?
1: It won't be an issue that will be resolved today because these mines take years to get open, but it's more of a long-term um, uh, pathway to, to increase domestic supply and domestic availability so that when there are geopolitical issues that affect supply, we, we, we still have uh, some of those raw materials to provide fertilizer here.
0: Corey Rosenbush along with us. He's the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.